Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yeah, we get to recap a big Tuesday. That's kind of fun. Almost never happens. And huge trades. What a fun time to do a show. I almost forgot that we hadn't talked about the trades on the podcast because I spent so much time on social media talking about them yesterday. It all happened in the morning. This is what I get. You know, I finally get some podcasts out in the morning and then a bunch of stuff happens right afterwards. If I was recording in the middle of the day like I have normally been, I'd have caught those trades in time for yesterday's show. So by today, whatever. Old news, I guess. Old news. But we are going to talk about those. We've got a big Tuesday to recap. I guess we might as well just dive right into it. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This show, of course, is a sports ethos presentation. Sportsethos.com, Ethos Fantasy BK for basketball, Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Hey, everybody, go bookmark our trade deadline live show. That is tomorrow at 8 a.m. Pacific time. We got a sweet lineup coming, too. I think we've got, ooh, geez, who we got on this thing? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13 analysts rotating through over the five hours of our trade deadline live show. It's on YouTube. Again, you can find the link. It's in the description of this podcast. And the reason I'm making such a big deal about it, number one, We have so much fun with it. It's our biggest show of the year. Number two, there will not be a Fantasy NBA Today show tomorrow before the live show. In fact, Fantasy NBA Today, what you're listening to right now, tomorrow's episode is just going to be a 45-minute chunk of the live show that I cut out and quickly record an opening and a closing to and present it to you as kind of a way of saying, hey, you should have listened live anyway. So please click, click the link in the description of this podcast Go set the reminder. There's a little button there to set the reminder right there on the YouTube page. Like the video. Subscribe to the Sports Ethos YouTube page. You guys know the drill by this point. Trades. Trades. We got trades. We already talked trades from earlier in the week. So we're just going to focus on the two from yesterday. First one, the one that broke in the morning. CJ McCollum traded to the Pelicans along with Larry Nance Jr. I'm just going to list the the big names that uh, guys that were playing real minutes at some point during the year. So we're not going to get into all the little things. I don't care that much about draft picks, blah, blah, blah. Going the other way, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart. Those are sort of the, again, these are the key components of this trade. And the breakdown is this. First of all, C.J. McCollum slides right into Josh Hart's minutes in New Orleans. That's an easy one. The other part is a little bit more complicated because Alexander Walker was playing about 15 to 20 minutes per ball game lately. Not much. Larry Nance is not healthy right now. And we can probably talk a little bit more about it when we cover New Orleans' game from last night. Although, again, the new guys weren't there yet. But you can kind of cover it as it corresponds to the players coming in. So, in fact, let's just do that. So, New Orleans beat Houston uh, 110-97 last night, and uh, Pels have some players coming into town, specifically C.J. McCollum, who likely slots right into the starting lineup 
And I guess the question is looking at yesterday's starting five, which was Devontae Graham, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Jackson Hayes, and Jonas Valanciunas, who gets bumped? It's probably Jackson Hayes. It might be Herb Jones, but it's probably Jackson Hayes. Now, that said, Hayes is still going to get plenty of playing time. He played 36 minutes in yesterday's ballgame. He got a little bit of extra run because JV was in foul trouble. He ended up fouling out. Valanciunas did in just 24 minutes of that ballgame. But it's pretty easy to see a path before Nance comes back. Because they like what Hayes has been doing lately. He's shown himself to have a certain measure of efficiency. Uh, he's putting up numbers, and that's all good. So in the short term, Hayes figures to be a, a solid fantasy play. As Larry Nance gets back, and we don't know exactly when that's going to be, how long that's going to take, maybe he's closer than we thought. You know, maybe this setback, I put air quotes, maybe it was a air quotes setback, the way that all of a sudden De'Aaron Fox just good to go once Tyrese Halliburton got traded, so now they don't have to worry about keeping Fox on the shelf in case he gets moved. Um, that said, I'm going to go ahead and assume that Nance is actually still recovering from his knee thing, and so he's not quite ready to go yet. But when he is and ramps up, that's going to create a bit of a logjam at that power forward spot. Plus, Willie Hernan Gomez is still in protocol, so that too is going to create a bit of a logjam. Right now, however, you've got to keep Jackson Hayes going because he's been rocking. And in terms of guys coming over, I think you can probably let go of Nance. I don't think he's going to have enough value. He's hurt. We had this setback news. And even once he gets in there, is he really going to get more than, you know, 20-ish minutes per ball game? I, I don't know. Maybe 22. So the deal from that first trade is that you hold on to Jackson Hayes for now, you deal with it as things adjust, if indeed his minutes do get shaved off by Nance, which I think they probably will a little bit, then you end up, you could drop down the line. I just don't think you need to do it now. Going the other way in that trade, and, you know, Portland played later in the night, but I think this one's actually going to be disrupted even more than what we saw in New Orleans, is that Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, those guys probably play for the Blazers unless someone's getting shuttled along to another team. We take it as we see it. And right now, Josh Hart would probably be the starting small forward on that Blazers team, and Alexander Walker would probably be the starting shooting guard on that Blazers team. And Ben McLemore and C.J. Ellaby, who started yesterday's ballgame, those guys probably slide to the bench. For that reason, Hart, who was should have been rostered in your fantasy league already, should stay rostered. But Nikhil Alexander-Walker is an interesting one. Not a big fan of his fantasy game. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. He's someone that I encouraged you all to avoid because basically he needed a truckload of usage to cover up some of the issues he has, which basically are his field goal percent is bad. His free throw percent is bad. He didn't get a ton of steals or blocks. He does it with threes, points, and then if he's out there long enough, you hope that there will be some rebounds and assists to go along with it. You can kind of go all the way back to the beginning of the season when Alexander Walker had the green light and everybody was hurt on the Pels, and right out of the shoot, he was, you know, 23, 15, 14, 17 points. First, like, three weeks of the season, he was pretty good. He was like a top 85-type fantasy player. And then anybody came back, literally anybody, and he fell off a cliff. 
because he wasn't getting 35 minutes a game. He wasn't getting 15, 16 shots a night. He was getting 11. That's not enough for him. But I will say that in Portland, it probably comes back up. Instead of 11 shots a game, it probably moves up towards that 14, 15, 16 mark because he and Anthony Simons presumably are going to be kind of last men standing on this club. Would I add him in a nine-cat format? I think I probably would, just to see how this thing shakes out, especially if you're punting in any capacity. If you're punting field goal, it makes more sense. If you're punting free throw, it makes more sense. He's going to get you some popcorn numbers on this Blazers team because, I mean, you know, look at what they're rostering. Plus, Yusuf Nurkic might be gone within the next whatever it is, 25, 26 hours, something like that, whatever we're, we're looking at by the time you're listening to this podcast. Trade number two. I don't know which one was more fun. They were both crazy. The Sacramento Kings sent Tyrese Halliburton, prized young player, incredible second-year man, still on a rookie deal, effectively for Demonis Sabonis. I know there were other factors involved in this thing, but effectively... That was what it was. So Demonis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb go to Sacramento. Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, also a factor. And Tristan Thompson go to Indiana. This is a really big trade. On its surface, this trade is Sacramento getting a big man and a wing and sending away a guard and a wing. So Sacramento added to the front court. The midcourt broke even. The backcourt opened up. On the Pacers' side, they added to the backcourt. The wing broke even, and the front court got lighter. Then news broke about an hour after that initial trade, saying that, oh, Miles Turner now is excited to play with Tyrese Halliburton. Do we actually think he's going to stay in Indiana? If the Pacers are wise, they're going to go get everything that they can for everybody and basically hit something of a reset button on the situation. Is there any point in doing that half rebuild? That never works out for anyone. But we'll see. What I'll say this, on the Miles Turner front, he's not expected back until the beginning of March anyway. So we're still talking about almost a month from now. I know that there's an all-star break in there, which does sort of cloud how many games you're going to get. I think Isaiah Jackson is a great add. For at least the next two to three weeks. And I know he didn't play last night. He was questionable, which means he's probably going to get in there at some point this week. I know the Pacers don't have a, a particularly strong schedule on the week, but he's getting in there at some point. I got to think by before Sunday's done. So add Isaiah Jackson. And to answer a question I got asked way too many times on Twitter, no, I have no desire to get into the Goga Batadze mess. I'm not a Goga guy. You guys know that about me. I know he was fine in yesterday's game. He had 14 points, two steals, and three blocks, which is pretty good. But I'm just not a Goga guy. I've seen enough to know that at, a, at sort of a true NBA level, he doesn't hold up. He's not going to get two steals and three blocks every ball game. His free throw shooting hasn't been good at the NBA level. Field goal percent hasn't been good at the NBA level. You know, if you think you can get one game out of him here before Jackson comes back, I guess you could dabble. But that is not my cup of tea. I, do, I think the Pacers want to get Isaiah Jackson run. He's the young guy. Batadze's been around for a couple of years. I don't think they're that excited about him anymore. This felt more like a played him out of necessity sort of deal. And then Chris Duarte is a really nice option right now. Uh, but that could change. So Jackson is my favorite play on the Indiana side. Duarte is kind of the second one. On the Malcolm Brogdon front, 
I don't believe he can get traded, but he could get shut down. He was questionable and then got held out. I, you know, I'd say they're keeping him shut down for the trade deadline, but again, that's sort of kind of a non-factor for him. I think eventually Brogdon does come back and plays like maybe 24 minutes a game for Indiana just to keep him fresh. But a lot should open up here with the Pacers. Buddy Heald is probably going to get to play. So hold Buddy Heald. Halliburton's going to get to do plenty. Obviously, that's an exciting young player. They're going to just run him until the wheels come off, so that's cool. And then again, I think there's enough for Duarte, especially with Justin Holiday leaving. Uh, Heald is going to go out there. He'll gun up three-pointers, but you know he doesn't have the defensive Holiday. I think, you know, if anything, this might even be a little bit more for Chris to do, at least in the near term. No, I don't think Lance Stevenson plays and gets almost triple doubles the next couple of ball games. That felt uh, a little bit more fluky. So add Isaiah Jackson on that one. And then going back the other way to the Sacramento side, Demonis Sabonis in the front court is going to make life a little bit tougher for a guy like Rashawn Holmes, who was already scuffling a tad with Damian Jones. You hold on Holmes. Don't get rid of him. You can't. It's just like... You got that. He's one of those guys that's so good in whatever minutes he gets that you can't part with him just because the center's showing up. Also, I think Justin Holiday plays because what the Kings have told us with this trade is that they're not interested in rebuilding around Tyrese Halliburton, which is probably, you know, franchise wise, what they should have done. They're just going to make a run at it. Screw it. Blow up the whole plan. Make a run at it. So Harrison Barnes, he's going to get to play a bunch. No fear of a shutdown there until they get fully, fully, truly eliminated from playoff contention. Barnes will get to do plenty. De'Aaron Fox magically came back from his ankle thing, and so he'll be fine now. And he's fully running the backcourt. I think Holiday slots in as probably the starting shooting guard, unless you see Davian Mitchell in that spot. Either way, there's plenty of run for those guys. De'Aaron Fox is going to play... Uh, Justin Holiday presumably, you know, if he comes off the bench, he takes Buddy Heald's spot. If he's in the starting lineup, whatever. Holmes and Sabonis probably start side by side, and then Barnes is probably the starting small forward. Davian Mitchell's another guy whose avenue basically just opened up because with the Kings getting a big man and losing a small guy, that's kind of what they were doing before anyway. When Fox was out, they were down one guard. It's just that now Mitchell's going to be stepping in for Halliburton instead of Fox. My problem with Davian Mitchell is that even while he's been playing really well lately, we've seen fantasy limitations. Field goal percent is one. Free throw percent is one. He actually hasn't been doing much besides shooting three-pointers. I'd love to see some more steals out of a guy who's as good defensively as he is, but it might kind of be that situation where someone's so good on defense they don't need to gamble and get steals. I think other analysts are a bit higher on Mitchell than I am. I'm totally fine with picking him up and kind of streaming him here, especially while the new guys are not in town yet. But when everything settles, when the dust settles, I'm not sure he's going to get enough shots behind Sabonis and Fox and Barnes. And that's the other thing for the Kings. You know, Sabonis stepping into that starting five, he's a really high usage player. Like a really high usage player. And I know that they sent out Heald, who was also a guy who took a lot of shots, but I think Sabonis changes the way the Kings operate way more than Heald did. Buddy was, you know, chuck it up like a wild man in transition kind of dude. Regardless, however that plays out, however that plays out, uh, 
the guys coming to Sacramento, I think there's a chance that Barnes, Holmes, Sabonis, Fox, Holiday, and Mitchell all have a shot at some kind of fantasy value. Who do I like more between Holiday and Mitchell? Most analysts, I think, are going to say Mitchell. I think I actually like Holiday more. If only because it's just easier for him to hit the mark with his stat set. I know that's dumb, uh, but the steals, the blocks, the threes, free throw percent, that's useful in a way that for Mitchell, mostly three-pointers, even at a slightly higher volume, he might, he might do more when he's on the floor. I don't think he covers you in as many categories. It's, it's close. It's a little bit of a wash. They both should probably be on rosters. And I think it's worth exploring using weekly moves on some of these guys. I know that we always say hold, don't use the moves until Thursday. But when big trades go down in advance, what you're really holding for are the big trades. And these were two of them. Of all the trades that happened yesterday, I think my most interesting parts of them are... Uh, Isaiah Jackson, what happens in the front court? I think he could potentially even play power forward if, even if Miles Turner did come back to the Pacers. Uh, I think Holiday and Mitchell on the Kings are the interesting things that are sort of emerging. And then in the other trade, I don't, you know, there isn't, the other trade might not produce any new magical fantasy guy. If anyone, it would probably be Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Hey, um, so have you guys ever stopped and wondered why internet access has actually gotten cheaper while everything else has gotten way more expensive? It's because internet service providers aren't just making money off of your subscription fees. They're making money by spying on your activity and selling your browsing history to big tech companies. Seriously. That's why those prices have generally stayed the same or even gone down for all the bandwidth you could possibly handle while your cable bill's gone from $80 to $220. And your internet went from like 40 to 42 in the same amount of time. It's because they're covering their money other ways. How can you make sure that your data is encrypted and your ISP can't take it and sell it? ExpressVPN. How do they do it? ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so everything you do online is encrypted. You're in a tunnel. They can't see into it. Do you want to know more? Let's geek out a little bit. It reroutes your connection through a secure server which blocks your ISP from seeing the things you do online. All they can see is that you're connected to an ExpressVPN server, but beyond that, they can't figure it out. It works on all of your devices. Tablets, smart TVs, phones, computers, your router. The whole family can stay protected. I cannot stress this to you enough. ExpressVPN is so simple. You open it up, you click on one button, and you can be anywhere you want. Which actually sounds like the plot of a futuristic movie. Anyway, your data is your business. It's not theirs. Don't let them make money off of you. They're not going to change your price because you say you can't have my data. And that's what's happening. Go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Get 15 months for the price of 12. An extra three months on your ExpressVPN protection for free. That is expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Learn more now. And, you know, we said it before, go get all your other good stuff. Get your streaming services unprotected. Get what you're paying for. That's the thing that drives me nuts about this stuff. You're paying for all these services. Stream what you want to stream. Why wouldn't you be able to stream what you want to stream? Okay. You guys have heard now about ExpressVPN. 
com slash hoopball. Let's start diving our way through yesterday's card. Phoenix beat Philadelphia 114-109. Devin Booker's heater continued on the back-to-back. 35 points for Book. JaVale McGee, another wonderful game off the bench. He's on a little bit of a heater himself. <laughs> Jay Crowder, 14 rebounds, didn't score. Chris Paul had a, kind of an off night. Missed a free throw, missed some shots, had six turnovers, and still had 16 points, 12 assists. No surprises on either side in this ballgame. Uh, everything we've talked about before held true again. Easy. Keep moving. Boston blitzed a Brooklyn Nets team that didn't have any of their superstars on the floor. You kind of knew this was going to be an ugly one. I don't think I thought it was going to get quite this ugly. Boston just said, look, we're not going to screw around. This is our chance to pass a team in front of us in the Atlantic Division, gain ground on Philadelphia, and Boston's running their way up the board right now. Again, no massive surprises. Certainly on the Celtics side, Horford's looked a bit better. Nobody had to play big minutes in a blowout. And on the Brooklyn side, you kind of just, like, I thought Patty Mills would probably have a better ball game here. But it was whoever. You know, Javon Carter got going. Thus, the fear of running these backups out there is can they even stay in the ballgame? And the answer was no. Rut row. Brooklyn's in a mighty tailspin. And now, you know, there's a lot out there. A lot of smoke around James Harden rumors. He is sick and tired of the nonsense in Brooklyn. We shall see. Anyway, you're not adding these guys, because if Harden got moved, then things would somebody else would come in. <laughs> right now, it seems like it would be Ben Simmons. In any event, we talked about Indiana already on the Atlanta side. Another blowout. Again, you're playing sort of a zombie Pacers team. Hard to get a great read on what went down in this ballgame. Trey Young was good. I just, I wish so bad that Danilo Gallinari could get three more minutes per game. How many times I'm going to have to say it on this show? It's never going to happen, but I wish so bad that it would. Center situation is murky in Atlanta right now. Capella and Okongwu ended up with about 37 and a half minutes of center time. Gorgie Jang closed out the blow with seven and a half minutes. John Collins is grabbing anywhere from about four to eight center minutes per ball game right now, and that's kind of kneecapping Clint Capella and Onyeka Okongwu. Neither one of those guys has been of value lately. Capella's the guy you stick with in the hopes that things move back to where they were, uh, but he's probably not going to get to where we wanted, is what it is. I thought Bogdan Bogdanovich would be better. I mean, again, there's some blowout stuff at play here. We might be just running into a logjam of too many wings, which has happened before in Atlanta, although of all those guys, Bogdan's the one that I would trust the most from the group. Another blowout. Oh, blowouts, blowouts everywhere. And now, here's the thing. With the Clippers, I'm not sure that this isn't the way the minutes are going to get distributed for them anyway. Everybody gets a little bit. Norman Powell started this one at shooting guard. Rob Covington came off the bench at one of the better games. Isaiah Hartenstein had a fantastic game off the bench in 27 and a half minutes. Is he an ad? Eh... I doubt it. Zubats was in foul trouble. The Clippers were getting punked. I don't know. I don't think we can make any calls. Frankly, I really don't think we can make any calls from this ballgame. Good to see the uh, Grizzlies let some of their bench guys play a little bit more. Anthony Melton, 27 and a half minutes, missed his shots, which has been the thing with him all year. You know, we keep talking about how we need him to change his locations. Uh... We just need his shot to fall. Three steals, two blocks, four assists, a three-pointer. Like, he does everything. 
but he cannot make a shot to save his life this season. Our good buddy Brandon Clark, another big ball game. I kept getting all these questions yesterday on Twitter. Oh, is Brandon Clark a deadline stash? No, he's not a deadline stash. He's been good for a while. Where the hell's everybody been? This have to be new follows or something. Because, you know, Clark is number 64 over the last month. What are we talking about? Stashes? Stash. He's number 64 over the last month playing 21 minutes a game. He doesn't need any more than he's getting. He's a low-minute, big-time producer. He's a nine-cat guy. I'm still hanging on to Melton. We all are, because it's, it's there. It's in him. He's in a full-season slump at this point. New Orleans beat Houston. We talked about the New Orleans side. The Houston side, uh, Garrison Matthews, 29 minutes. Eric Gordon, not gone yet. Effectively gone. Matthews is going to play close to 30 minutes a game off the bench. The shot wasn't falling for him, but he did go 8 for 9 at the free throw line, so kind of salvaged the night. Man, you know, if he makes one more three-pointer, we're talking about a really good ball game. If he gets one defensive stat, we're talking about a pretty good ball game. Alperen Sengun, once again in the starting five, 11-9 with a couple of blocks. He's a guy that needs to be rostered. Uh, I think Jalen Green probably gets a bump with Eric Gordon leaving also, even if it's just a couple extra shots. And I, I want to say Kevin Porter's a guy who's showing signs because the percentages are still a complete wreck. Most evenings, seven turnovers too. But he did hit his shots in this ballgame. I can't, I can't do it. He's like a, outside the top 200 even when he's putting up electrifying popcorn numbers. As far as Houston goes, uh, Christian Wood, you're going to keep trotting out there. Even though he's now the power forward, that's going to be a, a little bit of a knock on him. Shangun is a go. Matthews is a go. These are nine-cat guys. I don't think I trust Tate, Green, or Porter in 9-cat. I probably trust all of those guys in points formats because they all have percentages issues. Green's not going to shoot from the field. Tate's going to miss his free throws. Porter's going to miss both. Dallas beat up on Detroit. No surprise there. Mavericks have been a very good team for quite some time now. Reggie Bullock, 12 points, four more threes. Even on a quiet game, he's been good. Maxi Kleba came back, didn't start. Dwight Powell started. I think as Kleba gets settled back in here, if, if he has time to get settled before Porzingis returns, Kleba should be a pretty decent stream. It's going to come down to timing. We don't really know how long Porzingis is out, although he keeps getting ruled out a day in advance. So my thought is that it's probably not that close, and you might be looking at all-star break. Just reading the tea leaves. Otherwise, things pretty much stay the same. Isaiah Stewart, another decent ball game. I'm not being tempted there. I won't be tempted. Jeremy Grant, Kelly Olenek split the power forward minutes as per usual. Although this one was a little bit different. I guess they kind of flip-flopped. It was almost like Trey Lyles played the backup power forward and Olenek played the backup center. Regardless, we're holding on to Kelly Olenek for one more day. One more day. If someone gets out of his way, great. If they don't, cast him into the ocean. Into the ocean. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. Prop up, people, with prop bets at Thrive Fantasy. No longer, no longer must you toil at the deepest corners of the darkest dumpsters in DFS gaming. No longer must you try to figure out if Saban Lee is going to play six minutes in a ball game 
and take four shots. No longer. No longer. Must you try to figure out if Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to log more than 19 minutes in a basketball game? No longer. Must you determine if Matt Thomas is worth playing on the Chicago Bulls? Because at Thrive Fantasy, you only need to focus on the names, the big names, the superstars, the folks you care about. 20 prop bets to choose from. You pick 10 overs and unders. If you get the most points from your selections, you win money in the Thrive Fantasy Tournament du jour. 100% deposit match bonus and multiple free game vouchers with just a $10 deposit using promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S. Head on over there, throw 10 bucks in the account, you get another 10 on the deposit match, and two $20 contest entry vouchers, $60 of play for $10 of deposit at thrivefantasy.com with promo code ETHOS. Check them out now. They're a fantastic partner. You guys are going to have a lot of fun. I really, I promise you're going to enjoy yourself. It's fun. In my estimation, it's better than traditional DFS. I know that plenty of folks out there love regular DFS. I'm just not one of them. So something different, something special. This is right up my alley. Thrive Fantasy, they've got the app, Apple Apple Store, Android Store, wherever you got to go, or the computer, thrivefantasy.com. That's where my old people like me go to play it. Check it out now. Go to play it. Check it out now. Nikola Jokic, quiet ball game. First one in... Two months, he got help, which is good. Uh, no surprises. This is another no surprises game, really, anywhere. Mitchell Robinson sat this one out. Tough back-to-back for New York. Taj Gibson got all he could handle at the center spot, but, you know, that's not a thing that'll last. I think the only real notes on the New York side is that uh, Evan Fournier really has now finally settled in. So, like, the eighth time it seemed like he was going to do it, he did it. Congrats, Evan. You did it. Bucks beat up on the Lakers. Wow, Giannis. My goodness. Uh, I know he missed some free throws in this game, but who cares this time around? 17 for 20 from the field. No big surprises. Again, it's been kind of the typical fare with these bunch of blowouts on the card. Although Milwaukee did have to put their starters back in. Lakers were making a run. They cut it to, I think, 10. It was like 118 to 108. Some at that point. And then Milwaukee got it going again, able to fend off a Lakers run. Grayson Allen is, has become quietly kind of a useful shooting guard. He's 3, he's three and D, very much 3 and D kind of guy, but percentage is a bit okay. He's only taking the best shots. He'll get you a steal every once in a while, usually a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists. He's your prototypical 3 and D guy that I think probably sits right in that like 100 to 115 range, which actually does have a place on fantasy teams. That's a startable player on most clubs. And he's a low turnovers guy, so it complements some of the other stuff that goes on in fantasy teams. Anyway, I, I do think that he's he's not someone I'm going to use a weekly move on in a head-to-head league with all the stuff going on here on trade deadline week. Uh, but, you know, Roto style, if you're way behind in games played, he's someone that helps make up ground a little bit without costing you anything. And... Now, if you had him, I guess, already in head-to-head, you probably just ride it through. Whatever. I guess the good news of this game is that Malik Monk really has solidified his role. I do also wonder how long before the Lakers just kind of not pull the plug on Russell Westbrook because you can't eliminate him entirely. His fit next to LeBron James is just horrendous. And we didn't get a great look at it early in the season because LeBron was hurt early in the year. And then LeBron was hurt again. Uh, 
and Anthony Davis was hurt. So there was always like this one thing missing. And now that we're seeing all three together, it doesn't work. All three together doesn't work. And Russ is all over the map. I mean, he can't shoot right now. I was like, oh, he never could shoot. But, you know, he could get to the rim. He could finish around the rim. He can't even do that right now. He needs to be in there when LeBron is not. Just run the offense those minutes when James is off the floor. And you can't, like, you can't cut Russ down to 16 minutes a game or whatever it would be, LeBron on the bench for 14, 15, 16 minutes, whatever that number comes. At some point, they're going to probably have to play together, but I think it probably has to be when Anthony Davis isn't out there. Like, there just can't be all three at the same time. Whatever it is, there needs to be, when Russ is on the floor, there needs to be one extra floor spacer. And AD, I know he can step out and shoot a, you know, 17, 18-footer, but he's not hitting jump shots this year. Anthony Davis is doing his work around the rim, which is where Russ is trying to go. There's just a three-player fit, and I got, I don't know. Will they figure it out? Will they actually hit the button on that and make it go? Minnesota beat up on Sacramento again. Another blowout. I don't think we can read too much into the Kings in this ballgame. They got a bunch of guys coming to town, although, you know, this is a game where you figure Davian Mitchell would have an opportunity to kind of cook a little bit. Not necessarily have a great ball game, but, and this is the fear. This is the fear. He's going to be alongside De'Aaron Fox, who's a much higher usage guy than Tyrese Halliburton. Those two flip-flop. Fox magically, his ankle was magically fine as soon as the Halliburton trade went through. Uh, And then Sabonis is on his way to town. He's also an extremely high usage guy. The way that Davion Mitchell was posting something close to fantasy value was because he was getting 14, 15, 16 shots a game over this stretch with Fox out. But if that number drops down to 11 or 12... I don't think he has fantasy value because he doesn't get a ton of assists. He actually doesn't get as many steals as you'd think for someone who's quite good defensively. His percentages aren't very good. I don't see the upside. Yeah, he makes more sense in leagues that don't count percentages. You see what I've done there? I'm trying to say it that way because some of you are like, hey, my points league does count percentages. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, personal absence. Read into that if you will. I'm not dropping him. I know Sabonis is going to cramp his style a little bit, but I'm not dropping him. Kings are going to have a lot of weird things to figure out here, but whatever, we move on. And Orlando blew out Portland. I mean, it was crazy. Such a blowout day. I think we had 10 games, and let's see, Boston, Brooklyn, Indy, Atlanta, Memphis Clippers, uh, Dallas, Detroit, Denver, New York was not really a blowout until late, so we're not going to count that one. Uh, Milwaukee was beating up on the Lakers, but they did put their guys back in, so I don't think we can count that one either. Minnesota, Sacramento, Orlando, Portland. Six of the ten games were bona fide blowouts yesterday. That sucks for fantasy analysis because it's hard to get a feel for what a team actually wants to do. For one, Mo Bamba was having a great ball game, but he didn't get back into the game late because it was just well in hand and there was sort of no reason to. He's only going to be playing in the mid-20s and minutes here. And that might be the rest of the season. I don't know, but he was so good early in this game. Meanwhile, Jalen Suggs left with a sore Achilles. If he has to miss any time, that's a big help for Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, Chumo Kiki, Wendell Carter Jr. Everybody gets something when Suggs goes out. And that's not to say the team is better when Suggs is off the floor, but they might actually be a little bit better when Suggs is off the floor right now. He'll get there. He'll get there. He's just not there yet. So this helps everybody. Remember, last time Suggs was out, Gary Harris was actually a fantasy value. Again, 
I don't know if this is something you have to jump at. I wouldn't use a weekly move on it because we don't know. Suggs might be ready by their next ball game. Maybe makes more sense as a roto pickup. Go get a bunch of three-pointers. He may slot into the starting lineup in their next ball game if Suggs is out. And then for Portland, uh, the only, you know, reading the tea leaves again a little bit, Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker are on their way to town. I would assume those two guys replace C.J. Ellaby uh, and Ben McLemore, we've talked about already. Um, the Justice Winslow thing is actually what I want to focus on from the Portland game. As of right now, there are no other power forward options headed to town. We've heard about Portland maybe being in the mix for, you know, like a Jeremy Grant or someone else as, as one of the building blocks around Damian Lillard, who apparently they're not trading. But until that happens, Winslow actually looks like a pretty damn interesting ad. I hate his percentages. Historically, his percentages have been atrocious. Very bad. But if no one else is coming, then what, you know? Like, if he's actually going to get 30-some-odd minutes of ball game, then he probably belongs on a fantasy team. It's weird. I know. I've never given a Justice Winslow recommendation before. Uh, he's also never really had, at least since he's been healthy enough, he's never really had that opportunity. Miami gave him a few shots at it. And, you know, the free throw percent in particular was the thing that really sunk him. He was close in 2018. If you go way the hell back. He shot 43% from the field, which isn't good, but you can stomach it. But only 63% at the free throw line. And that number doesn't look like it's on the move at all. The other thing with Winslow is, you know, if everything breaks the right way, he should be able to get you about a steal a ball game, but that's actually been a number that's fluctuated wildly for him in his career. He's at .9 steals at about 26 minutes per game over his entire career. But if you look at the individual seasons, his rookie year, he was at .9 in about 29 minutes. Second year, he got hurt early, had 1.4 steals in 35 minutes per game. That was the year that everybody's like, oh, here it comes. He wasn't shooting the three ball at all, and he still shot 36% from the field. The next season... Uh, he played only 25 minutes per game. Again, there were injury stuff going on and has been throughout his career. 0.8 steals. 20, 30 minutes the next year, he was at 1.1. I guess that's probably your target. Get him to about 30 minutes a game, one steal, half a block. Could he get up to a dozen points? He never could in Miami because there were always 100 people around him. I could see it happening in Portland when it's, you know, this is just a free-for-all at this point. Um, he didn't play this many minutes in the previous game because uh, McCollum was still there uh, and also kind of settling in a little bit. But again, I mean, what we're looking at right now, Josh Hart could play power forward. I guess that, you know, could that wedge him out a little bit? Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It feels like it may come at the expense more of uh, a little bit from everybody. So that's the fear. If he doesn't hit 30 minutes, it's probably not going to be worthwhile. I don't think I would add him if I was cutting someone of any relevance. I think in a points format, you give it a much stronger look. And then in category leagues, you probably save that roster move. And we move on. We'll see if there are any more trades coming up today. Have a wonderful day. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Vesperus. Tomorrow, trade deadline day. Remember, no show tomorrow. 
Well, there is a show. It's coming in the afternoon. It's just a chunk of the trade deadline show. Hit me up on social. That's where we'll get everything done, especially if something goes down in the middle of the day today. Big thank you, as always, to our sponsors. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Pacific time. Trade deadline live show Thursday. Join us, won't you? The link is in the description of this podcast. Later, everybody. Later, everybody.